0: On Tuesday, Olympic skier Eileen Gu took a big risk. She tried a trick that she had never tried before in competition, in the freestyle skiing big air event. And she nailed it. It won her a gold medal. My biggest strength is my brain.
1: I think about everything thoroughly. I visualize in vivid detail. And when I want to do something, I commit very fully to it.
2: Well, Eileen Gu has already won a gold in Big Air, which was her worst event.
0: That's Les Carpenter. He's in Beijing covering the Olympics for The Post.
2: She also still has free ski slope style and she has free ski uh, half pipe. Those are probably ones where she would be favored easily to win the gold.
0: Eileen Gu is like if Wheaties dreamed up an American athlete in a lab. She's amazing at what she does. She's arguably the best freestyle skier in the world right now. She's smart, she's charismatic, she's also a fashion model. She was born and raised in San Francisco and she's gonna attend Stanford this fall. And over the course of this Olympics, she is very likely to win big.
2: I think everyone's assuming that she will have three gold medals at the end of this Olympics.
0: But Eileen Gu has chosen to compete for China. And a lot of people have a problem with that.
1: If people don't believe me and if people don't like me, then that's their loss. They're never going to win the Olympics, so.
0: (laughs) From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, February 8th. Today, we'll hear why Eileen Gu embodies the existential questions of this Winter Olympics. And later in the show, how an Instagram account called Dear White Staffers is exposing bad behavior from lawmakers on Capitol Hill.
2: Eileen Gu, I think, is the most interesting person at this Olympics. In fact, I would argue that she might be one of the most interesting people at – any Olympics in recent years. She is a fantastic free skier. I would say probably the best female free skier in the world, potentially to winning three gold medals here at this Olympics.
1: I started skiing for the first time when I was three years old. My mom thought that I was skiing too fast and that it was too dangerous. So uh, one of our ski instructors suggested that I join a ski team.
2: She is also a model with a real high-end modeling agency representing her. She's been on several magazine covers in China, Vogue and In Style and Elle magazine, for instance. She is on numerous ads here in China and a few big endorsements in the U.S. as well. She had a 1580 on her SAT. She is going to Stanford University in the fall. She's 18 years old and... She would be a fantastic American. She was born in San Francisco and and grew up in uh, San Francisco. A fantastic American olympic athlete except for the fact that she's competing for china her mother was born in china is from here and you know when a few years ago when eileen Gu was ready to pick a country to compete for and heading for this olympics she chose china and that is probably the one thing that has caused enormous consternation for a lot of people
0: and how common is this for Olympic athletes to basically choose to um, compete for the country that their parents may have been from rather than the country where they were born?
2: This is a very common thing for athletes from one country who have a parent or some connection to another country to say that they'll compete for that other country. Say, for instance, an American who has a Norwegian mother might choose to compete for Norway because they'd have a better chance of making the Olympics from Norway than they would from the US and whatever that sport would be. That's not her case. I mean, she is the best at what she does. She's already won a, a gold medal in Big Air, which is arguably her worst event. Her better ones, Slope Style and Half Pipe, are still to come, and she could win two more gold medals, and she could win three. And very few athletes do that in a Winter Olympics, so that would make her enormous to begin with, beyond all the other sort of geopolitical ramifications of being an American, essentially, competing for China.
0: And so why has there been criticism of Eileen Gu's decision, especially in the light of the fact that she could have competed for either China or the U.S. and she chose China?
2: You know, it's interesting because some ways you would think, well, gosh, there's people who are just mad that someone's not trying to win those gold medals for the United States. And I do think there is probably a little element of that. I think the bigger thing is that you chose China. You don't have to go far to find criticism of, you know, China's handling of the virus, of the relationships between the U.S. and China, and then you get into the human rights issues, and you get into the issues of oppression that have been discussed here in this country, and everyone kind of sees all that building and building and building and building, and then here's an American athlete competing for China, and all those thoughts come out. It was kind of jaw-dropping. I I did a big story on her, you know, before this Olympics, and I looked at the comments, and after a while, I just had to stop looking. It it was harsh, and I—and, you know, I think I've seen that in other stories about her as well. I think that's kind of the reality of, of the decision that she's made.
0: And what does she say about her decision, why she felt like she wanted to compete for China rather than
2: the U.S.? She tells a story of how she was a girl just starting in the sport and going to the mountains and near Tahoe, California, where she's from. She joined these teams and they were all boys. And she just kind of didn't feel like she was much of a girl doing this, that she must be kind of boyish like them. And she dressed boyish and things. And It was only years later that she started to see other female star free skiers and realize, well, what, gosh, that could be me. She wants to allow girls in China to feel the same way. First to feel empowered that they could do sports and then also that they could be feminine and do these sports and maybe they're surrounded by guys. That seems to be a big motivator for her. At least that's what she says. Obviously, everyone's going to look at it and say, well, there's a huge financial component to this. No matter how big she could have been as an American, American, she's significantly bigger in China. Mm-hmm. First, by being the top athlete in winter sports, and this is a country where winter sports aren't a big deal. But secondly, because she's the American superstar who chose them, her endorsement deals in China are enormous. I mean, I oh, wow. you know she's everywhere in this country. You can't go anywhere without seeing her picture and. I, you know, the money she has made doing that is significantly larger than any amount of money she could have made as a star American athlete in this Olympics. So there's that element, too. She has not spoken to that, but that's certainly something that I think a lot of people can easily kind of look at and say, gosh, I think that's probably part of the decision.
0: And has Eileen Gu been asked about – China's human rights violations and the the parts about competing for China that people have a problem with that say, you know, this was an unethical choice to essentially be the public face of a government that is doing wrong?
2: Well, there's two parts to that. Yes. In one regard, she has been very strategic in the lead up to this Olympics, by really being very selective about what she talks about, the interviews that she does. It was not easy to interview her for the story that I did. I basically had to go to an event that she was competing in in Colorado on a mountain, and it was a small event. And at the end, when she had won, I was able to kind of ask her a few questions and sort of slip in a couple things about that. But most of the interviews she does are with with sponsors or olympics.com TV or whatever, things where people are not going to ask that question. Question. So she's a little protected in that regard. When the question does come up, the answer is usually something on the lines of, well, look, I'm an athlete. I'm not political.
1: Here's the thing trying to keep anyone happy. I'm an 18 year old girl out here living my best life. Like I'm having a great time. You know, it doesn't really matter if other people are happy or not, because I feel as though I am doing my best. I'm enjoying the entire process and I'm using my voice to create as much positive change as I can for the voices who will listen to me in an area that is personal and relevant to myself.
2: That's the IOC's approach to this whole China question in its Olympics. It's a common refrain, but she has definitely used that.
0: You know, in some ways, I wonder if there is a bit of a double standard here for Eileen Gu, because, I mean, if you think about The U.S. and American athletes and whether or not we consider those athletes representing the government that's currently in power when they're competing. I mean, during the Trump administration, I don't think that we had Democrats or liberals calling for athletes to not compete in the Olympics on behalf of the U.S. just because they disagreed with what the government was doing at the time. And so, like, I wonder if there is a sense that maybe this is an unfair criticism of her
2: well among all all other things she is a teenager she's 18 Uh, she's not a 40 year old person making this decision that has to be factored in at some level Something that she I see has thrown back a little bit in the past is, well, what about treatments of Asian Americans? She lives in San Francisco. There certainly were many instances of violence against Asian people. And I think, too, that other people independently who kind of look at this and maybe look at this favorably to her side will say, well, what about America's own human rights issues? What about Treatment of Native Americans. What about the treatment of black people in this country? Uh, You know, are we going to discuss that if you're going to discuss China's own human rights issues? So, yes, it's a very complicated thing. It becomes almost a third rail of sports. And she's certainly right there in the middle of all of that.
0: I also wonder what are some of the pitfalls for Eileen Gu or athletes who are in her position in terms of the fame that comes with competing for China, especially in these Olympics. But also I can imagine the pressure.
2: Well, it's two pressures, I think. One, it's the pressure – to succeed, to do well, to achieve to that high level. I mean, yeah, she signed up to, to compete for China at this Olympics, but she still had to go out win those gold medals because that's what everybody was expecting from her. There's also the pressure, and this is, again, why she has avoided a lot of interviews and avoided a lot of questions in the U.S., is that you don't want to say the wrong thing. And run afoul of people in China, of turning everyone against you, much the way that happened to the NBA a few years ago when Daryl Morey, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, just uh, would would seem like an innocuous tweet supporting uh, the protesters in Hong Kong, suddenly had the NBA off television in China for most of the season. I think that is the fear for her or any athlete like this, who they could ruin this good that they've built up and and the the amount of money that they could potentially make through advertising and everything else, they could ruin all that with just one careless comment, one stray tweet, one thing said in passing that really didn't mean anything, but actually meant a lot to a lot of people here.
0: It feels like we're at this moment where there is an increasing sense of recognition that sports can't be separated from politics and that sports and politics are very much intertwined. And it feels like that has become one of the big themes of this Olympics, that you can't separate the Olympic Games and the joy and delight in watching these athletes compete with the very real geopolitical issues and questions around China especially. And so I wonder how you think Eileen Ku kind of embodies this moment of sports meeting politics
2: I think it's a great point that's why I think she's just she's the story of the Olympics why she's such a fascinating character for this Olympics because she embodies everything that everyone has brought to these games This is a very unpopular Olympics with people around the world, partly for the human rights violations, partly for the oppression, as well as all these other restrictions that have been put on this Olympics in China's great fear of letting Omicron into Beijing. The last thing they wanted these Olympics to do was to be some kind of an event that would spread the virus throughout China because they've tried so hard to have zero cases, uh, which obviously is impossible to have, but nonetheless, they feel that they've been able to mute it pretty well the last thing they've wanted is for this olympics to suddenly blow that back up so all of those things i think get packaged into how people feel about the beijing olympics and then you see well here is the poster child for for this olympics she is the big star and she is representing a country having been born in this other country and i think it's something everybody has opinion about everybody has a feeling about
0: Les, thank you so much. Thank you. Les Carpenter is a sports reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Ariel Plotnick. After the break, we'll hear about Dear White Staffers, the anonymous Instagram account full of testimonials calling out workplace culture on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. And now, one more thing. There is an Instagram account that has been getting a lot of attention on Capitol Hill lately. It's called Dear White Staffers.
4: If you've covered Capitol Hill for a while, if you've worked on Capitol Hill or nearby it, these are kind of the worst-kept secrets. Like, everyone knows some offices that really have a bad reputation—
0: Mariana Sotomayor reports on Congress for The Post. And over 70,000 people are following this account on Instagram.
4: The first time they ever posted was a meme back in January of 2020. And at the time, it was just constant posts of memes mocking the fact that a lot of minority Hill staffers know that they're being paid less or treated worse off than a lot of white staffers we actually don't know who runs the account, but they, as many people do on Instagram, posted a question saying, who is the best boss to work for on Capitol Hill? A ton of people started to reply anonymously with their experiences, including some that actually mentioned, hey, working for this person isn't that great. Here's my experience. At which point, whoever runs the account started to ask that question. Which are the bad members and senators to work for? Some of the
0: responses talked about aides being forced to stand against a wall during a lawmaker's lunch meetings, and they weren't allowed to eat or sit. In one instance, a lawmaker allegedly threw glasses at an aide after they gave the politician the wrong pair. And Mariana mentioned another claim involving a round-robin of salary negotiations with a bunch of people interviewing for the same job at once.
4: There was also one testimonial that came through about a certain member who interviewed multiple people for the same position at the same time, where everyone had to answer the same question, including, how much do you want to get paid?, One person said it was a very traumatizing, just awkward experience they've never had in a job before. And several posts later, someone said, oh my gosh, I was also in that interview room. So this is how a lot of people are connecting through personal stories. And staffers are following this account because they feel like they have a platform to air their grievances. And you can almost find solidarity with many other people and know that you're not alone in your own experience.
5: I remember hearing a story of a former intern who had to, there were the member like the alphabet soup, and they would have to organize certain letters in the alphabet soup. And this was an unpaid intern.
0: Carlos Mark Vera is the co-founder of the organization Pay Our Interns. Vera says that hearing about abusive lawmakers and staff is nothing new.
5: Another which I heard and I actually saw the job description was a member that was looking for a personal driver. And the pay was like $30,000 where you're going to drive the member around. The requirement included you have to have your own car. It has to be reliable, right? And you're barely making you know, minimum wage in D.C. It's really wild that these things still happen in 2022. And the notion that they can't really do much about it. And people are just kind of like, You know, just work there a couple months and then kind of go to a different office. So it's kind of become to a point where it's like it's widely known, but no one's doing anything about it.
0: This Instagram account is starting a conversation around what would actually need to change to improve staffers' experiences, including higher pay or union protections. On Friday, the Congressional Workers Union was created. They say that they're hoping to represent all employees working for members and committees.
4: So many people are aware of it that Speaker Nancy Pelosi suggested that she would support a union. And you've heard that from many Democratic members, especially most progressive ones. So that is actually now a possibility. After that green light, we saw a group start to organize and say, hey, we are staffers. We're going to try and learn the ways that we can make a union possible. But What it has to take, both in the House and Senate side, is a member introducing a resolution and that chamber approving of that resolution for that to happen. So there's a lot of digging around, but at least the conversation has reached the point where leaders are aware and have to answer to a change in the workplace.
0: Mariana Sotomayor reports on Congress for The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sam Baer and Sean Carter. It was edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.